0: Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you. Thank you, every single one of you, for taking the time. As always, I appreciate you. I appreciate your ears all around the world. Thank you for listening. Okay, you guys, I know I have said this like a million times, but... I absolutely love hosting this show. Like being able to talk to people about their dream jobs, working with animals, and just learning. Like that, I just, I absolutely love it. And I had such a great time talking with our podcast guest today and learning about an animal a lot of people just don't even know exists. Okay. So on the show, I'm just going to cut right to the chase. We have Daniela. And she is an elephant researcher from Indiana University, and she studies African forest elephants. Now, a lot of you are probably like, Corbin, okay, like everyone has heard of an elephant. But, you know, yes, I agree. Everyone, you know, the majority of people that live on planet Earth have heard of an elephant. But when you think of them, you think of the savanna elephant. And a lot of people don't realize there is a complete, and I'm just going to say it, separate species species of elephant, the forest elephant. Now, the reason why I was hesitant on saying species is that technically, quote-unquote, they are not considered a uh, separate species. They are considered still a subspecies, but scientists, including our researcher that we have on the show today, Daniela, they are completely convinced that this is a complete separate species of elephant. So, we have three species of elephant. I'm just going to say it. The African savannah elephant, the African forest elephant, and then the Asian elephant. So, anyway, I had such a good time learning about the forest elephant and talking with Daniela, who is so passionate and her story is so inspiring. And I encourage any of you, I mean, wherever you are in life, if you're young, uh, maybe a young scientist or someone pursuing their education or just anyone who ever has a dream of doing anything. It doesn't even doesn't even have to pertain to animals. Listen to this episode because there is just great insight. And you know, Daniela just, you know, she talks about her journey and it was not just a straight path and she just talks about working her way and trying to figure out how that she could make this, you know, career working with elephants, you know, forest elephants. So many people told her it would be impossible. She heard a million no's before she heard a yes. And as I record this in a few weeks she's off to Africa for a year to go study forest elephants in the African bush. I mean, are you kidding me? It's just like, ah, so cool. Super jealous, by the way. I promise you guys are going to absolutely love her. And I, this is great because you're going to learn a lot about an animal that really doesn't get a lot of spotlight. Of course, you know, we've just, we know a lot about the Savannah elephant, but not a lot of people know about the forest elephant. So I'm happy to highlight that species on animals to the max. Now, before we get started, um, as always, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review it really really helps get the show out there. It helps kind of spread the message. We want to get these episodes out. We want to educate people about animals and how we can protect them and save wild animals in wild places. So please make sure you do that as well. Also, if you aren't already, please make sure to check out and follow me on my social channels, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I love giving you all kind of behind the scenes look, especially during my stories. I've had such a fun time on Instagram stories lately where I just, it's just so raw. And I just give you, I literally take you with me through the whole process of recording interviews, editing, which sometimes I'm up to like two o'clock in the morning where I want to like pound my eyes out to the final product. Like I love showing you guys that behind the scenes aspect. So if you love that, check it out. And of course, also see awesome content regarding this week's feature of the forest elephant. I'll be uh, posting and tagging Daniela and her social channels. Um, And she'll also mention um, this right here. But if you do want to help out her research, uh, these animals are really, really critically in trouble. Uh, They're less. 40,000 forest elephants left. And so if you do want to help support Daniela's research, I uh, have included a link in the show notes where you are able to do that. But with that said, I hope you guys just enjoy this interview as much as I did. Check it out. Let's learn about some forest elephants from Daniela, the elephant researcher from Indiana University. Daniela, welcome to the show. First of all, this is... (laughs) I'm sorry that you have to cuddle with your laptop to capture the audio.
1: <laughs> Listen, you got to do what you got to do sometimes, you know? And uh, me and my laptop are very close. We're very close.
0: There you go. There you go. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, well, and I, you actually reached out to me. And you wanted to really kind of wanted us to highlight your work because you are currently an elephant researcher going to Indiana State University and you study elephants. And I just heard elephants and was like, oh my gosh, I have to have you on the show.
1: Yes. So I'm just going to quick thing. I'm actually at Indiana University. There's no no state in there. Oh, Indiana University.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Indiana. I don't want to make you mad.
1: Okay. Don't worry. I've made a lot of people upset because I didn't realize all people from Indiana are called Hoosiers. Okay. And that was definitely um, made clear to me that everyone's a Hoosier and not just people who go to Indiana University. I thought everyone was just called like Indianians, but that's all right. It's Hoosiers. <laughs> everyone's a Hoosier here.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'm not from
1: the Midwest, so I didn't know about this type of stuff.
0: Where? Wait. Then where, where are you from?
1: I'm from South Florida originally. So I like the warm weather and I like the sunshine, which is definitely not what we're having here. So uh, I I would prefer it to be a bit warmer and a bit more sun. But, you know, I guess that's what like down jackets are for. And those happy lights or sad lights, whatever those are, UV lights you, you could put up in your room are called.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so have you always been fascinated with elephants or animals in general?
1: Uh, so always into animals. That's for sure. Um, I blame the Lion King. It was very impactful. (laughs) Uh, I remember where I was when I saw it. I remember who I was with. It's the first movie I cried in. (gasps) Who wouldn't cry when Rasa died? I mean, if you didn't cry, you have, you have no heart. So, um, that, I think that movie was actually very influential in, um, kind of the direction I went with life. And when I went, to, I went to University of Florida for undergrad, and I was a biochemistry major, and I wanted to be uh, like a physical science, a hard science, because at the time I either wanted to do like wildlife research or I wanted to work for the government, like an FBI type of situation. Uh, but at the time, I was really into lions. I was um, there's a researcher, his name's Craig Packer. And I would read... You, you know him. Yes. You know him. Yeah. I,
0: well, I actually, no, I'm I'm actually just a fan. I'm just a super fan. <laughs> no, I don't know. He, yeah, wouldn't, yeah. I he, wouldn't, too, he wouldn't
1: know me. I, too, was a super fan. <laughs> 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 I, too, was a super fan. Totally nerded out on his stuff. Bought his books, like, highlighting, just, like, in my free time. Uh, not for, like, school or anything. That was my, like, you know, end of the night reading, pleasure reading, if you will. And so I was super into Lion's. And in 2012, I had the opportunity to go to Tanzania and do some uh, human elephant conflict research. And I was like, okay, they're not lions, but it gets me closer to them and I get to see them. So I took the opportunity, I went and part of what we were doing, a lot of it was, uh, so if uh, listeners don't know, elephants like to eat farmer's crops often, I mean, I personally don't blame them. If I had to choose between watermelon and, uh, (laughs) I feel like that's an easy decision. Obviously. Um. It's
0: it's so, that's such a good comparison and really, really quick. I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but one of my good friends, she works in wildlife rescue here natively and people get so mad when raccoons and you know, stuff like that eat their dog and cat food. But it's like, she always says like, you can't leave out candy on Halloween or whatever, and the driveway and expect kids not to pick it up. Like, it's just like, oh. you're just asking for it.
1: Definitely not. I'm, uh, I'm here with my friends, and they have these peanut butter balls. And I made my friend, Is are his favorite, and I ate them because they're so good. I love peanut butter and chocolate. They're right there. I couldn't say no. And it's the same thing. <laughs> if it's there, you're going to say yes, and you're going to eat it. You can't stop. Like I mean, I guess maybe a few people have self-restraint. I do not, nor do I think the elephants have self restraint when it comes to uh, some of that food. Versus, I mean, who cool. seriously? It's not. Like, it's not even like a a hard decision. Wood, grass versus like yummy corn and watermelon. Like, <laughs> sit down, you know. So,
0: anyway, anyway I love I, that. I love that analogy. It's great, though. It just it puts you in there, like is – Yeah, I love it. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. But yeah, so I was there doing some stuff with that, and uh, beehive fences is often uh, a tactic that's used, as well as like um, the smell, of, like hot chili peppers. So we were testing both of those. What is
0: that? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Danielle. Beehive fences, fences. Oh, beehive. Beehive. Beehive.
1: Beehive. Can you yes. explain? Uh,
0: can you explain?
1: I, yes, I certainly can. So, um, elephants seem not to be big fans of bees. Again, I don't blame them. I'm not a big fan of bees either. And so the idea is um, it's very difficult uh, to stop a large, intelligent animal from eating crops, right? So this is an ongoing issue. There's a lot of people studying different ways of trying to curb crop rating, which is what we call when elephants eat farmers' crops. And I should also clarify, it's not like they're just eating like a couple you know, pieces or parts of their farm, it pretty much demolish all their, uh, like all their crops, which is what they depend on for their food for the year. Right. So it's a a big issue. And so you try different tactics, some work, some work temporarily, some work for certain populations. And one that is a popular one that's often used are beehives. And so what you do is, or the way we did it is, um, We take big chunks of trees, logs, come down, hollow them out. Mm -hmm. And you actually, you have the bees come there and colonize it up on cables and they're all attached. And the idea is if an elephant just hits one of these cables, one of these wires, it shakes the beehive. It agitates the bees. The bees come swarming out. So even if you kind of shake it on one end, it it reverberates all the way through. And so all of them start shaking. The beehives get angry. They come out. They fly out. The uh, The elephants don't like it. And so it stops the elephants from then crop rating. And the plus is the bees then make honey and the farmers could then sell the honey as well. Uh, so that's one tactic that's often used. And so we we're using that to see if we could stop some of these elephants. We were by Ruaha National Park, which is in the south of Tanzania, to see if it would uh, help uh, protect these farmers' crops. So that's one part of the project.
0: Okay, and really, really quick, I'm so sorry. So you yep. you, you cut out no, just no, no, a okay. second um, when you were talking about the bees. So you so you get a log, correct, and you basically create okay. a home for the bees. Yep. And then you so have there, a wire. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so they're strung up um, long ways. So I'm trying to keep my laptop on my lap. Oh, that's you, perfect.
0: Actually, you, you sound better like that. That's great. And I can oh. see your face, not <laughs> just your eyes. There you go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I tend to talk with my hands, and that's why the computer was uh, moving, because I was trying to show you with my hands what the beehive looked like, and then everything was shaking. This is perfect.
0: So, this is great. You sound You sound better than ever.
1: Better than ever. Love it. Love it. So, yeah, so there you take it long ways and you cut it horizontal. and so though the wood is now perp- uh, sorry, parallel to the ground, and it's long ways. And you have it on two little posts um, to support it. You then cover it with some grasses, so you provide shade for the bees. And then you have a cable that runs through it that then connects to the next beehive fence, like part of the fence, and then it connects to the next beehive, and then the next beehive. So you have multiple beehives surrounding the perimeter of your uh, farm. And so then anywhere that the elephant might tap the wires, slightly hit the wire, that shakes, and then it shakes every single one of those beehives. And so all the bees end up being agitated and then come flying
0: out. Wow. Yeah. That is yeah, ingenious. genius.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it works, it works pretty well. It works pretty well, but, uh, you know, elephants are smart and sometimes they figure out how to, uh, you know, get around it. And, um, so it's always like, I feel like, a like a arms race with elephants in a way where you have to then go up another level, but a lot of people are studying that and really working on it. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully there's a solution. Uh, but, the more people that, you know, population growth, that means more land that has to go to people. That means less land for animals. Elephants require a lot of land. Uh, you just have probably increased likelihood of more human elephant conflict as well as human wildlife conflict. So it's definitely an issue, but people are working on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. you, you use beehive, or excuse me, yeah, beehive fences. And then what else did you use? Beehive fences.
1: Oh, right. And so the other thing we were trying were uh, hot chili pepper fences. So this is the smell of chili peppers and the smell being, uh, again, not something that elephants uh, necessarily love. And this is, uh, it's, it's a bit more uh, like time intensive and labor intensive because once you set up the beehives, you're pretty much set. You have your shade. The bees are doing their thing. The farmers could collect their honey. You're all good. These, the way we did hot chili pepper fences, it, we took uh, pieces of cloth and you dip it in like old car oil and you use fresh ground up uh, chili peppers and then you hang up those pieces of fabric, again, like all around the per, uh, the perimeter. And the idea is the smell, but the smell wears off. So then you have to like re-dip it and re-up it. And so that's why it's not... Um, it's not as great. And again, you don't have the benefit of having honey that the farmers can then also sell or have for themselves. So we did both of those. Uh, but beehives are more of where uh, things are going or what people are using. Um, but, you know, so we did that. And then we tried to uh, show. So what happens is these farmers, and we worked with a lot of communities that were close to Ruaha, And they would have a lot of negative interactions with wildlife, right? The wildlife come, they eat their crops or they kill their livestock. And so the idea was, let's bring you into the national park on a safari. And then you could see the other side of wildlife. And we'll talk about, you know, the way the animals live together, uh, the ecosystems, things like that. And it was on one of those. Uh, safaris there was a large family of elephants probably like 30 individuals uh, coming across a river and we stopped to watch them and I probably watched them from I don't know 30 45 minutes and I was completely hooked fell in love right from the start you can just see you could just see their emotions on their face you could see them having fun with each other And I just wanted at that point to learn as much about elephants as I possibly could. And that was the moment I decided, yeah, lions, you're kind of cool. You're kind of cool, but you're, you're no elephant. And I'm like, there's just so much depth to elephants. And they, I kind of equate them to an onion. You could peel back a layer, but then there's another layer. And so there's just so many layers that you could just keep pulling back and learn about elephants to learn about elephants. And you just learn such cool things—they're just remarkable species that I just wanted to continue studying them. Yeah, and that, so
0: then, thats a really, really good point. And I—I I just want to intersect there because when I went to Africa, I remember I was so excited to see lions, but in reality, the people I—you know—my friends who were from Africa—they were like, "Lions are boring. They're sleeping twenty hours a day. They—they so they don't do anything. They're I mean, yeah, they're, they're so. so <laughs>
1: exactly—they're sleeping twenty hours a day." They do a little bit here, they do a little hunting, then they go back, they eat, they gorge themselves, and they go back to sleep. And, you know, I mean, not trying to knock on the lions, Craig Packer, the lions are awesome, but uh, yeah, elephants stole my heart. They stole my heart for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, just yeah. continue. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I just want to put that note because no, because oh, hold on. Sorry. One more thing is when people see these National Geographic these, you know, things they've seen as kids and then they they do go to Africa, I think they're some some people expect that and have this high expectation. They don't realize it takes months to film a half hour, you know, 60 minute special <laughs> yeah. or years, even years to film something like yeah, that 100%. with lions.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, it just so happened that uh, the end of the end of uh, that was the beginning of 2012, and I had already accepted uh, going to the University of Alabama Birmingham for my PhD at the end of 2012, the fall of 2012. And my PhD is in nutrition sciences, and when I went to start that program, I had the intention of studying exercise and performance. And my first week, it was oh no, 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 no the amount of work you need to do for a PhD, you have to really be into what you're studying. I was like, I like exercising. I'm not passionate about exercising. I'm passionate about elephants. And so the next step was how can I make nutrition sciences and elephants fit? And it was a bit of a process, but I had the support of uh, two really key people. My primary mentor there, Tim Nagy and my current mentor now, David Allison. And with their um, encouragement, I decided to pursue it and go against the grain. And that's because I was in nutrition sciences. People in my department, they study a lot of things related to obesity in the realm of humans. There was no one at UAB doing anything remotely close to elephants. There wasn't anyone at UAB studying elephants. And so there was a lot of uh, pushback at first because it was who's going to train you and how can you get, you know, how can you do this here when we don't have anything that remotely looks like this? And so it was a, a bit of a, a struggle at the beginning, but I think it was one of the best decisions I've done career-wise for sure.
0: I love that. And so yeah. you did not take no for an answer. You literally were like, we have to make something work. Yeah. Like we have to make it work. Yeah. We just, I'm going to just keep on knocking yeah. long enough until someone answers. That's awesome.
1: hundred percent. Yeah. And so I, uh, I went and I spoke to different people in the field and I went to the literature and I started reading up and I was like, okay, hey, what do we not know about, uh, nutrition sciences as it pertains to elephants. And it turned out we didn't know a lot in terms of elephants and zoos. And I reached out to Janine Brown, I call her my elephant mentor, and we still work together to this day. And uh, we decided to look at how body composition, so how much fat and fat free mass, which is pretty much everything else in the body, how that relates to reproduction, and overall health. And that pretty much Kind of set me up for the direction of the rest of my research with elephants so a lot of my research is focusing on different factors that may impact the health and reproduction of elephants and it's just kind of you know it's not a straight path nothing in my life has been a, a normal straight path you know kind of go off on my own little uh journey if you will but it's been really awesome because i'm coming at things from a different perspective and different methods and say if I came from a typical ecology or biology background, which I think has been great for my career. And so through that, uh, we, I've worked with probably, I don't know, around 25 different zoos doing stuff with Asian and African elephants. And then now I have two different studies starting in Africa and four different countries. And it's through that, that I also got into forest elephants. So I'm pretty new to the forest elephant world. And I think that's really exciting. I, I don't think maybe some of your listeners even know that there's something called a forest elephant. You know, everybody learns in school, hey, there's two species of elephant. You have your Asian elephant and your African elephant. And scientists would argue that's not the case, you know, that there's actually two species of African elephant. Your savanna elephant, which is probably what most people think of when they're thinking of elephant. That's the African elephant that lives in like east, uh, eastern Africa and southern Africa. And then there's the forest elephant, and they're the ones that live in the forest of uh, central western Africa. And so that's one of my studies and something that I'm really excited to learn more about them and want to then convey to more people. Hey, listen, here's another like elephant out here that nobody knows about. Elephants are this iconic species. How is it that nobody knows about the forest elephant? And uh, so that's kind of what you know. Um, I'm myself learning and hoping to to get more people excited about and learning about as well.
0: Yeah, and you sold me on the forest elephant because I. Oh, I just, I've always been fascinated with them and I don't know hardly anything about them. And a, a lot, I mean, a lot of people don't. So let's talk about them. What are some differences between sure. a forest elephant and a savanna elephant? And what have you found? And let's just, let's just dig deep into it. Let's go deep into yeah. the forest. That was so Let, cheesy. Let's keep it.
1: So right. I'm all about the cheese.
0: <laughs> so bad.
1: I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Don't okay, worry. Good. And I also want to say, you're not alone. A lot of people don't know about them. And not just the general public, even scientists. We don't know a lot about forest elephants. So one of the reasons we don't know about forest elephants, as the name gives, they live in the forest. And when people think elephants, they think huge, massive. They're probably super easy to see. That's not the case. Like in the forest, elephants disappear so quickly. They walk quietly. They don't want you to know that they're there. You don't. And we actually rely more on our hearing than on our sight to know if elephants are there. So we're listening for them. We're listening for them to break branches when they're eating and for them exhaling out of their trunks and hear them smelling us. Those are big things. So like we won't go into the forest when it's raining because then it's very dangerous. We don't know where they are. And then you could sneak up on an elephant, which you don't want to do. So. Going back to your question, yeah, 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 exactly.
0: Pretty oh, dangerous. you can see my eyes. My eyes got big. I'm just I like that would eyes. be that would be like my an oh crap moment. Like, yeah, yeah,
1: okay. yes, it's definitely an oh crap moment. It's definitely and my two different field sites, actually they uh, approach how they encounter elephants very differently. So one group, uh, when they come across the like the elephants in the forest and the elephants realize also you're there, their tactic is to uh, quickly go away. So if an elephant starts charging you, their their tactic is to run. My other field site, the tactic is the complete opposite. If the elephant starts charging you, you start running back at it. And uh, I'm not quite... I haven't ended up in that situation. I don't really want to, but it's uh, funny that two different countries and the, the tactics are, are different. Uh, yeah. well, wait,
0: have, have any of them been successful? Like, or... because.
1: Uh, so I have had to run from an elephant in, in the forest and, and she was, you know, we caught her, she, she was scared and it was a mock charge. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you could tell it wasn't for real. And so, you know, run five, seven meters behind a tree and she turned around and she hightailed it out of there and she was gone also. So she, she just did a quick mock charge to let us know that she wasn't keen on us being that close to her. And then she she ran out of there. Does your life uh, though
0: like flash through your eyes for a second when you're when an <laughs> elephant's charging you?
1: Um, I don't recall that it did. It was you know in a gentleman rush, you know, and it's also I mean you you kind of um you you talk about like we talk about what we're gonna do and if things go sideways and uh, try to prepare yourself, and we have different. You know protocols in place and things you're supposed to do, um, but you know I, I guess if you're you're into a, the adrenaline rush and you're a adrenaline ju- junkie, then uh, uh, it can be dangerous. I'm laughing right now, but it can be dangerous.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Okay, continue.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I want to get back to. So you asked um, some differences, and uh, between savanna and forest elephants. Yep. So one of the big differences is their size. So, okay. savannah elephants are much larger than forest elephants. You could kind of think uh, forest elephants are, these are all going to be approximate, but approximately half their weight, uh, on average, maybe a meter shorter. Um, their ears are also more round than the savanna elephant. Their tusks are straighter, uh, usually thinner, and oftentimes they have a pink hue to them. And that's because of the minerals that they're eating in the forest.
0: Okay. And
1: that also, their their ivory is denser than savannah elephants, so it's actually more valuable.
0: Oh, uh, than crap. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh. Coaching for forest elephants is is awful, again, because they live in the forest, so things can go undetected. And they don't um, have as much, let's say, exposure like through ecotourism as savannah elephants do because they are so hard to see, right? So if you're in... South Africa, you could hop in your land cruiser, you could go on a safari in a truck, and you could see hundreds of elephants, you could see tens of elephants, it's pretty much guaranteed. When you're in the forest, you're not in the truck, you're on foot, and like I said, they really hide, and so they're cryptic by nature, the, the forests are dense, and that's not great if you're trying to sell like a, you know, a walking safari to, to
0: tourists. How many, <laughs> how, many, how, how many forest elephants are there? Do
1: do they do do they estimate? Do they, that's a way to add. Do they estimate at the end? So yeah. It is hard. It is hard uh, because a lot of times the way you're estimating savanna populations now are through aerial surveys through plane, like using a plane an airplane. And again, you can't do that in the forest. A lot of the estimates are based off of dung counts. So you count, you know, poop, and uh, use an equation based off of estimates on the how fast poop decays in the forest, and how much poop elephants produce in a day to get a rough estimate of how many elephants are in that area. And so there's been a couple of recent studies. Uh, so right now they roughly estimate there's about 40,000 forest elephants out there.
0: Okay.
1: There's a couple studies that have shown their decline. So between um, the early 2000s, I want to say 2002 to 2011, but I might be off with those dates, but uh, the early 2000s, the population showed a decline by 62%. Oh, God. Um, and then one of the largest strongholds, uh, forest elephants, are in Gabon. And one of those largest populations uh, has also reduced, I think they get estimated between 70 and 80% in the past decade.
0: You said bone? So I said forest- bone? I'm sorry,
1: bone? Gabon. Gabon. Oh, Gabon. Gabon.
0: Gabon. Okay, so Gabon, Gabon, Africa. Yeah. Okay, Gabon. Okay. Yeah,
1: Gabon, Africa. That's right. Okay. So, So i are listening, that's on the the west side, the west coast of Africa in the central part.
0: Yep. I'm right over here. Gabon right there. Perfect. Okay. Yeah,
1: Yeah, yeah. So they have um, a large population of forest elephants, but unfortunately they've lost a lot to poaching. A lot of it comes through, uh, they showed a lot of it is actually coming through uh, Cameroon. And so like porous borders and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So right north of it. Yep, right right there. Okay, yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, so they're actually, um, it's a very precarious situation. I think much more so than savannah elephants. There's a lot less of them. They get a lot less attention and they're harder to protect. And something that recently was published, which is what is fueling my research, is they appear to have a very slow life history strategy. And so what I mean by that is savannah elephants and Asian elephants, on average, have their first baby, their first calf, between 11 and 14 years of age. Wow. The study that came out of the Central African Republic uh, showed that the forest elephant population there on average had their first baby around 23 years of age. So yeah, Ed, it's huge. that's huge. Uh, Just you're talking about a decade later in life to have really? your first Really the uh, forest birth. so so, yeah. the, so the African
0: the African the savanna 11 to 14 years and then the forest right. elephant will be what do you say 23 20
1: 23, 23. Yeah. And so when you're thinking about that, and this is what's also really important with conservation, uh, conservation strategies is oftentimes, since we don't know a lot about forest elephants, we're taking data from savannah elephants to model population trends for forest elephants. And so when you're making those trends, you're assuming that these forest elephants are having their first calves around 11 to 14. But that does not appear to be the case, right? So you're not having an accurate assessment or a picture of what it really actually takes to recover from all this poaching. And so that is what actually really got me interested in the forest elephant. Why, why would you be waiting so much longer? Because the goal of every animal is to pass on their genetics, right? So if you can physiologically have a calf when you're 11, why are you waiting till you're 23? And that's what our study is focusing on. So, uh, the project is in in two countries, uh, primarily in the Republic of Congo. I do want to differentiate. This is different from the Democratic Republic of Congo, which formerly known as Zaire. So this is to the west of the DRC. This is the Republic of Congo.
0: Okay. And I'm just I'm just looking yep, at my map. I'm not it's ignoring it's you. I promise.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. I see you. I see you looking at your map right behind you. Oh, right here. It's right to yeah, right to the east of where you're just looking. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so if you look at the top northwest border with Cameroon, uh, is that's where the field site is. It's with the Wildlife uh, Conservation Society, Wow. and so it's in Ijoki National Park. And what's really cool about this site is there's an area, it's called the Embellied Bay, a Bay, I'm sorry, the Embellied Bay, and buys are natural clearings that there's no trees there, and elephants come, and it's really mineral rich. and Hypothesized that maybe they come to socialize again in the forest. It's really dense, and so you're not. Oh, here's another cool thing that's different between forest and Savannah elephants. I'm sorry, I'm going to sidetrack real quick. Uh, Savannah elephants very gregarious. Right? I was there, just a gonna. You just that.
0: read my mind. I was gonna ask you. So they, <laughs> I was just gonna say. So they probably don't live, and they probably live in smaller groups. Okay, they, go go ahead. They
1: do. They oh, do. So like Savannah, you could have. These massive family units, you can have multiple units together where you have 20, 40, 60 elephants at a time congregating together. Forest elephants, because it's a dense habitat, that's the assumption because it's dense. You have usually just mom and her dependent offspring. So you're not really seeing more than a handful of elephants together as they are herds. Yeah. So they're, yeah, they're the least, if you're talking about like the, how gregarious they are the least on the spectrum and then Asian elephants are kind of in the middle there. Um, So that's something that really unique about, about them as well. And so one hypothesis is they come to these clearings to socialize, to catch up, gossip, you know, all that stuff. Another is mineral rich soil that's there. And so what's cool is because there's this clearing, there's a platform there and we could observe these elephants. So over 520 elephants there have been identified They've been studied for over 15 years at this point. So we know their ages, we know their calving history. And so what we're doing and what this project, we're starting actually uh, February 1st. So in less than a month, yeah, yeah. Right around the corner, uh, we collect fecal samples from the same elephant every two weeks. So these elephants on average come to this clearing every 10 days or so. And what we can do is since we could see the elephants, we could identify the elephants. We watch them when they defecate. We come down from the platform. We collect our fecal sample. And you can actually measure a lot of stuff in feces. And so what it's going to allow us to do is for the first time actually characterize the forest
0: elephant estrous cycle. So right I, now, I couldn't hear what you said. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think something. Siri's trying to ask about the estrous cycle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>, i <right. laughs> that's fine i like it i like it she's tuning in (laughs)
0: yes
1: (laughs) my apologies my apologies uh so yeah so what we can do is for the first time since we're gonna have repeated measures from the same elephant we could see how long their ester cycle is so right now it's about uh in in savannah elephant you're talking about like every 14 to 17 weeks is a length of a reproductive cycle so For those listening who might not be as familiar, like for humans, it's roughly, you know, 28 days for females, right? You have your cycle every 28 days. So for savannah elephants, it's every 13 to 17 weeks. And so we want to see is that the same thing that's happening in forest elephants, because right now we don't have those data. And so that's like step one. Step two, is we're creating uh, what's called an allostatic load. So a lot of people are, are used to the word like homeostasis, right? You try to maintain your homeostasis. If you're perturbed, like your body's perturbed, right? Your body tries to get back to the the middle ground. So allostasis is somewhat similar, uh, but it's pretty much like a concept of the wear and tear on your body after you're exposed to continuous stressors, let's say, I think is the easiest way of putting it. And so it's this multi-system approach And where a lot of people think of like cortisol as that hormone to assess if you're stressed or not, uh, this is a combination of different systems. So your neuroendocrine system, which you can include cortisol. So we look at uh, glucocorticoid metabolites. So it's the metabolites of, say, cortisol in the feces. And then we take uh, or we look at different hormones that are from different other systems, like your metabolic system or your immune system. And then you create an index. So it's trying to get at this full body uh, status for the elephant, not just one thing. It's not just, are your cortisol levels high? Are they low? Uh, That's not necessarily the full picture if, if you're stressed or not. And so we're seeing how do these things relate to each other? And how does that relate with human activity? So where this field site is, human population is very low. And so there's not as much impact in terms of human activity and human like human landscape. But then we have another field site in Kibali National Park, which is in Uganda. And Kibali is kind of like an island surrounded by tea plantations and a lot of humanized landscape. So we're doing similar measurements in the elephants there to see uh, how human impacts are uh, related to these different measures. And we're trying to understand what's going on with these guys, what's going on with them In terms of the reproduction what's going on in terms of their health and is that why they're reproducing so much later in life is it something else is it their diet is it their socialness right so first-time elephant moms have a higher uh, mortality for their first calf their calf i should say has a higher mortality rate when they're the when it's their first calf and they rely on aunt and grandma and the other members that are experienced moms in the herd help them with that calf but if you don't have that support structure right which you don't have in the forest elephant maybe it takes them longer to accumulate the knowledge to feel like okay now is a good enough time to invest all this energy into reproduction so elephants uh you know have a very long gestational uh, period it's about 20-22 months Mm -hmm. and then babies are lactating for a few years which is very energy intense so you you want to make sure that You're ready. So is this a possible reason that they're waiting so long? Maybe. Is it diet? Do they not have enough energy to then divert from growth and maintenance into reproduction? So there's a lot of questions that we don't have answers to. And, And this project is focused on getting a lot of this biology and physiology data that's just not out there. We haven't had it. And so I'm really, really excited about it. I think it's really needed in order to understand what's happening with these guys, to create Appropriate conservation strategies and make sure that they're actually going to work. Right. You know, and to translate research into policy isn't always easy. It's not always fast, but you need to have the data there uh, in order to even know if what you're doing is is appropriate. That's what I'm really excited about it. Really excited.
0: I have a, this is just off the whim. I feel like it has a combination to do with several factors. I think diet would be a factor, right? And this is me just going in blind just from hearing from you, right? Like I would say like, wouldn't you assume, I think diet would be a factor and also the fact that they're not that gregarious. They don't have that, that family unit that, you know, I don't know. I just, that's what I'm. Yeah, no, no, no. You're
1: that. that, Those are my, my first thought was diet. Uh, funding agencies didn't like that so much <laughs> I <didn't get> that, <laughs> kind of that way. Um, so el- forest elephants are also different from Savannah elephants in their diet. They're much, they rely much more on fruit than the Savannah elephant. Uh, so that is, that is different. And, you know, you can't, so a lot of the, a lot of feedback that I got on that grant is you can't change their diet. So what are some other things you can look at? It's kind of of what it has. But I I did think maybe diet's one. And then the more I thought about it, I do think the social aspect uh, to me seems like very plausible. But again, a hypothesis. I'm just speculating right now. I'm just speculating. But it's it's, um, some, I call them two different species. That study elephants often will call them two different species but they're not technically listed as two different species they're technically listed as subspecies still and there's a lot of uh contention and debate in that and different factors and one of their morphologically different like i mentioned their size also their skull Mm -hmm. morphology Mm -hmm. is very different uh their genetics is also very different so there's been a lot of recent studies on genetics. And I think the first one was probably came out at the beginning of the 2000s. I want to say around 2001 and then maybe 10 years ago, it really uh, ramped up and they're pretty much genetically as different as Asian elephants are from woolly mammoths. And so, yeah, yeah. Oh. But it's been very hard uh, to get it passed as different species because they can interbreed. And have viable offspring. They, they they, so, they,
0: they, they can. You said they can. They can. Okay, yeah. Man, okay. So
1: there was, um, there's been some studies and it's bi-directional. So that means both forest elephant males breed with savanna females and savannah males breed with forest females. And so one thought at first was, well, maybe it's savannah males breeding with the forest females because savannah males are much larger than the forest males. And the females like the larger men, the larger
0: <laughs> males. It you know? it's, it's all like, yeah. hey, they say size doesn't matter, Danielle. That's what I've been told they, my whole that's life. What
1: they say. That's <laughs> what I hear. That's what I hear. I hear size doesn't matter, but that's not the case in the elephant world. That's I can for just sure. see my
0: wife cracking up right now. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking right, yeah. about? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay.
1: So so they thought maybe the Savannah males were out-competing the forest males, but that's not the case. Through genetics, they see that it's bi-directional. And that they see that the offspring are viable. And they could tell because the DNA signature is different. Once you have just one mom or one dad that's one species and the other one's the other species, once you start having offspring, the DNA signature uh, gets much more mixed. And so one of the, the debates is, well, they can interbreed. And that means that they shouldn't be two different species. But there's a lot of animals that can't interbreed. And if you think about humans, when there used to be multiple like, species, when homo sapiens and Neanderthals existed at the same time, there was interbreeding. You know, 23andMe tells us now, when you get your DNA run, some people have Neanderthal DNA in them, right? So uh, I don't think it you know, should be um, – I don't think they should be kept. You know what, subs-
0: you know what animal just came to mind? I, what just completely came to mind. I've read a few books about this, but uh, killer whales, because technically they're supposed to be one species, but there are scientists are saying, no, there should be like 10, 13 different species. And I don't You're quote right. me on that. Don't quote me on the 10 or 13, but there's several scientists believe like they're, they're complete different animals, but they're, you know, they're all grouped as one, you know, um, killer whale. But no, there's like, they, scientists are starting to believe they're like separate species. Yeah, I didn't know that. I
1: didn't yeah. know that.
0: Yeah, that's the yeah. first animal that came to mind. I was like, oh, my God, because, you know, and there's a lot anyway. So I guess look <laughs> into look into that when you're bored. But, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> Not that you have enough stuff to look yeah. at.
1: That's <laughs> right. No, I always uh, like something interesting to read, so I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll make a note. I totally will. Yeah. It is a, it's an issue for conservation because right now when they're categorized as one species, right, that means that our entire – African elephant population is let's say somewhere in three hundred, four hundred thousand elephants. Okay. So they're they're listed as threatened. Mm. But if you you know, take those as two different species and now you have forest elephants hanging out here around forty, fifty thousand elephants, they should be categorized as critically endangered, particularly with these declines that I was saying in their population between sixty and eighty percent depending on the population and the years, right? And so that is very different in terms of their conservation status and again, how we're approaching them and what type of measures we need to take are very different. And so it's important that we start to consider this and that, you know, people become aware, Hey, forest elephants, that's, that's a different elephant. You know, there's something called a forest elephant, right? Uh, You know, for such an iconic species, like it's a symbol, elephants are one of the symbols of Africa that people should know about it, you know? And so that's, That's where I think we we need to head in that direction.
0: And I am so fascinated. I'm so happy you reached out because forest. – I'm just so happy because there's a lot of people who don't even realize that there is this separate animal living in the forest because you just – they don't get a lot of – they don't get a lot of press. That is just ah, – I'm so into this right now.
1: Yeah, those countries aren't really known for their ecotourism as well. So, I mean – Yeah. Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Danielle, tell me, tell me about that. Cause if I, I would love to see a forest elephant one day, but is it really, is that really practical for me if I'm just wanting to go or is it, do I need to have an inn and hang out with someone like you?
1: Yeah. So I'm not going to speak on all the countries. So, uh, forest elephants, the majority of their population. So I'm just going to readjust my headphones here. The, I have a very small head, a peanut-sized head, so the, <laughs> the headphones are we're moving around quite a bit. I apologize. You're fine. Uh, so the majority of the forest elephants live in, in five different countries, and I'm going to list them off in my head. Hopefully, I won't miss one. So one's DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo. The next is Congo. Okay. You have Gabon. Yep. Yeah. So that's okay. right to the west, they share a border. Yep,
0: yep, right there. Yep. Right to the
1: north of them is Central African Republic.
0: Right there, yep.
1: yep. And then if you keep going west, you're going to have Cameroon and west of Congo and south of Cameroon, mm-hmm. uh, Gabon. So those are your five countries.
0: Okay.
1: So I'm not going to speak, I can't really speak on all of them. There's, you know, different instability, political instability in some of them, like DRC, uh, Central African Republic, uh, you know, and DRC has some Ebola situations. Um, the way it is in congo i I personally love you guys for having me. I don't think it's it's not set up for tourism. like to get a, a tourist visa is not easy to do. Uh, that being said, you can you can get one you know it's just it's not like I'm just signing up online and then that's that. Uh, you get a letter where you're staying and it has to get notarized by someone there in Congo and you mail all of it to the embassy here in DC and along with, you know, your app, two applications, a couple photographs, and um, I guess your fee is probably everything. And then you mail that with your passport, then you get your visa and then they mail you back your passport. So it's not like you just go into arrivals, get it, or something easy online. So it's, I think there's things like that where it's not super set up for that. That being said, there's a lot of things um, that are going on to try to promote. And in Uganda, so Uganda's kind of special. Uh, Uganda has savanna elephants. They have forest elephants and they have this hybrid hybridization zone. So that's where, so we call the elephants that interbreed, we call them hybrids, right? So babies are forest and Savannah elephants are hybrids. And one of the biggest, uh, hybrid zones is actually on the border between DRC and Uganda. Uh, so some cool research we're doing there right now. Uh, but in Uganda, it's, it's much easier, uh, I'd say in terms of being a tourist and going to their national parks and, and things like that. Uh, but you, you could, you could get it. You can make things happen. Yeah. I think you can make it happen. And, and we want to, we right? We want to promote tourism in these countries. I think sometimes, uh some people might be scared off by certain yeah, situations
0: i'm like have visions of hotel rwanda flashbacking <laughs> through my mind that movie so yeah. like is it dangerous because the congo you can't tell me the congo is like disneyland it's a pretty pretty damn dangerous place <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: so congo republic of congo it is different from drc and i think I think I want to say the travel advisory currently based off of the state department is a travel advisory two. I want to say it's a two, which is the same travel advisory if you're going to South Africa, South Africa is also a two. Um, so okay. I I don't think, and it's not, there's not the political unrest. It's people here, Congo. And I they think they're thinking about the DRC. So a lot of the articles you might see in the news recently that's the DRC. That's separate from the Republic of Congo. And it just confuses people because they both Democratic Republic of Congo, Republic of Congo, but two different countries. Two different countries. So Republic of Congo, uh, you're good, and DRC, you know, it's a little more a little more unstable politically. Uh, i'd say i think is a nice way of putting it so
0: <laughs> Cause again i don't want to hate on any countries <laughs> no so how long so and it was so cool i was talking to you just before we hit record and you were telling me like oh i'm getting ready to go to africa soon how long are yeah, you yeah. how long are you in africa and by the way you're living my dream because you're just like dropping everything and going to africa and i'm just like <laughs> god i wish i could do that right now
1: oh man yeah there's a lot of logistics when you try to drop everything though yeah you're um, right. but you know uh, like right now, currently at my my friend's house and not at my own house. Um, so I'll be gone for about a year. So I leave at wow. the end of January. Yeah, sure. I leave at the end of January. And most of my time is in Congo. Uh, but I pop into Uganda a couple times to check in on our field team there, make sure everything is kosher, everything's going as we need, and bring some, you know, re-up on some supplies and things like that. And then I have a separate study that it works with orphan elephants, so the studies in Zambia and in South Africa, and so I have to go to both those countries on, on a couple of different occasions as well. So pop in, quote unquote, pop in. There's no popping in. It's like it. The, our field site in Congo, I shouldn't say it, it, the field site in Congo. It's a couple of days drive. It's not like an easy accessible thing. So you're talking about like a handful of days just in travel round trip to leave. So, um, you know, you try to minimize it, but there, you know, you gotta, gotta keep things going. So yeah, got, got lots of supplies here that I bring over and try to uh, sort things out. Permit wise, there's lots of different permits. Every country is different. Every place you're working in requires something different. And I work with different uh, organizations in each country uh, so in Congo, we work with, you know, the government, the Congolese government and WCS and Uganda, uh, work with the Ugandan Wildlife Authority, Makiri University. They have a field station there, uh, right up, uh, right there in Kibali. So we do a lot of work there. And in Zambia, I work with Game Rangers International, which is a orphan, uh, elephant orphanage, and then the Zambian National Parks Wildlife. And then in South Africa, I work with a private game reserve and University of Pretoria. So lots of moving parts for each study and lots of things. So there's lots, I have lots of spreadsheets. If you could see the color coding that happens on this side of the laptop and the different Excel spreadsheets I have, trying to make sure nothing falls through the cracks. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot for sure. But once you're there, it's totally worth it.
0: That is, uh, I love your story and it's so inspiring. I mean, honestly, and I, there's a lot of young people who listens to this, sh- you know, who listen to the show and they just, a lot of people and a lot of people email me too and they're like, I, you know, what do I do? I, you know, I, I want to go for this career. And I love how you said early on in the interview, there's no direct path, you know, like it yeah. just, you know, and it's just, that's
1: what I tell I'm sorry, I mean to interrupt. No, you know, no, no. I was I leading into see. that.
0: I just was leading into yeah. answering that. Yeah.
1: So uh, I think it's very important for young people to hear. I think sometimes, you know, I think we have there's expectations that are put on you either, you know, either intentionally, unintentionally, society, family, whatever. And at the end of the day, I think you need to just do what it is that you're passionate about, and if you want it enough you just got to keep doing it, you know, and, and especially like things like this, like with like field work, a lot of people think it's cool. And a lot of things people think it's like, they have this romanticized vision of it, right. And it is cool. And it is amazing. And it has so many benefits. But there's also a lot of sitting around and waiting in offices for permits, right, or a lot of like, red tape that you have to to do, and you have to be willing and want it enough to do that. And I think sometimes that's where people get weeded out. Um, But if you want it, you just got to do it. You got to follow your heart. You got to do it. Don't listen to what other people say. You know, if you think you can do it, you can totally do it. That's what I I tell. uh, I have a, a couple undergraduate students. That's what I tell them, you know, especially early on, when you're still figuring out who you are and and maybe someone who's older than you, someone who might have a higher position than you, they don't think it's realistic. I can't tell you how many people said there's no way you're doing elephants at University of Alabama, Birmingham. I had so many people tell me that. But you just need to believe in yourself and have, you know, a couple people in your corner and you just got to do it. You just got to do it.
0: Yeah. So Oh, I love that. You need to be a motivational speaker, too. That's yeah, I just (laughs) said giving me chills. No, it's good, though. It makes it just it's awesome. And it's it's great that your hard work is paying off. And I'm so happy you're making a difference and being a voice for these animals. Okay, tell me something. This is one of your last questions. You ready? Yeah, tell Tell me what is like a perfect day for you out in the field?
1: oh in the field or just in general oh
0: i guess just in general crap If, you're, right. well, <laughs> if you're, different. oh it's yeah different. well then tell me if it's in a pub be honest tell me go ahead <laughs> I, never, I said you
1: before i am often with my dogs in the woods yeah so uh that's part of my my perfect day hanging out with my dogs and being out in nature uh in the field oh man um seeing elephants for sure so like i said like sometimes you don't see them like in uganda and kibali you don't always see them you could you know, walk ten miles in a day and and not not actually see the elephants. but it's um feel living is something different. You know it's really cool. Let's say Kibali, it's a very cool environment because there's a lot of different researchers there. So you have a lot of different uh, people doing you know various research, but you go out in the morning, you go out on the field, you get to do what you love. You're also physically active, and you feel like, oh man, I really did something today, like physically and mentally. And then you come back, you you change, you talk to your buddies who are, you know, studying chimps or, you know, howler, whatever, not howler monkeys, whatever, monkeys. I'm not a primate person. I'm sorry, guys.
0: You're fine. <laughs> um,
1: but but you, know, you talk to them about what they were doing. You talk to them about what you saw. Right. You kind of have this little community situation happening and you pop over, open a beer and you just hang out and, and talk things that people like, conservation and animals and cool stuff like that. I mean it's pretty awesome life, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty, it's pretty special. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for what I get to do. I I love what I do and it, it makes me happy. So I think that's pretty sweet. I think I have a pretty sweet deal.
0: I think you do too. Now you said you're, you're doing a GoFundMe. Can we talk about that really quick?
1: Oh yes. So, uh, right now I have a crowdfunding, uh, thing going on right now for the forest elephant project. So you can either uh, contact me, Daniela Shuseed, D H U S Y D, and I'm at Indiana University. You can always email me. But our page is iufoundation.fundly.com slash elephants And we're uh, around $9,000 right now. I really want to get us to $10,000. Love to get us to $15,000, but I really would like to get to $10,000 and we've had so many donors. I've had so many awesome people. I've had friends, you know, create accounts on Facebook to raise money. I've had so many people that I really appreciate uh, donating and, and getting involved. And I'd love to get more people invested in uh, forest elephants, really help us uh, do something cool and, and really important for this species.
0: That's great. And we will put, I, cause that was a little long. Um, I will, I mean, that's not your fault, Sorry, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you lost me. And I'm like I'm trying to IU write Foundation. Down. Yeah. I E foundation. foundation? Okay. I will include that listeners in the, sh- in the episode notes. They can just click on that and go, oh, um, go check you out and support you. Okay. I, this is not about elephants, but I have to ask you because I've been to yep. Africa a few times and there's one animal that's always evaded me. And I want to know, do you run into them a lot? Do you run into leopards a lot? Oh no. You I don't? wish
1: I did. You no.
0: Don't? Have, have you ever seen them in Africa?
1: At one time, one, one time, one time. Yeah, one time. Hopefully, after this next year, I'll have some more sightings to give you. But I do. Oh, that reminds me. I'm going to make a YouTube channel. I don't have the okay. The actual uh, link. You know, link yet. But if people are interested in following along and like what it looks like to do research in Africa, and I don't know. Hear me talk about, I'm not even entirely sure what I'm going to talk about yet, but just a lot of people don't get the opportunity or as lucky, you know, as us to get to go to Africa and see these animals and see what, what it's all about. This is an opportunity, kind of like a behind the scenes situation. So again, check back, uh, like my social media. All of it is D-C-H-U-S-Y-D. Uh, so D-C-H-U-S-Y-D. It'll be on there. Uh, I leave at the end of January. Uh, so maybe there'll be some lepers. I mean that I could get on. I doubt it. I doubt it. But I really hope there's. um So, I'll actually tell you my animal that I haven't seen that I really want to see is the painted dog. So I really oh, want. Have, have you? No, Are you a lover?
0: No, I have never seen. I love painted dogs though. I yeah. No. Oh, but you know what I did see? Not um, as I. Um, I did see oh, a. Okay. I did see a serval and kittens which were really rare the guy was yeah, like that and the mara was like oh they usually don't anyway so i thought that was kind of cool and i saw black rhino which is really very, rare in the mara yeah, and then we, yeah. we saw cheetah and five or six cubs which is you know really awesome but not the leopard I or seen, yeah. i have
1: seen much here cheetahs yeah i've uh, seen a lot of cheetahs too yeah but uh not not too many leopards and definitely no pain dogs. I really, really want to see see those guys. So-
0: what, a, what about a pangolin? Oh, my God. That would be.
1: Oh, actually, I did. I did. I did. I did. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We saw one. Uh, I saw one earlier this year.
0: Okay. And
1: that was pretty cool. Um, I didn't spot it. Uh, another researcher there, she found it. And she woke us up, like she came and found us all in our rooms, and was like, "You need to come here right now." And
0: for That's those of you beautiful. wondering, pangolins are the only scaled mammal. They look like a like yeah. a pine cone, right, with a tail kind yeah. of. Like I don't know Yeah. How. Yeah. yeah. They
1: catch, yeah, I, I think scale like these little scale. Um, I don't want to call them plaque things, but you know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how else to describe besides the scales on their on their you know their backs to.
0: They're so cool. You know,
1: yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. And I have to say at the time, um I w- it was even lost on me, the coolness of it. Like Oh really? I don't I, yeah, I feel like um it was an after the fact situation.
0: Where you were like, yeah. Wait, what? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, you never you know, you never know what's gonna pop around the corner, which is also pretty cool.
0: Absolutely. You know, keep you on your toes. Absolutely. Uh, well, is there anything, yeah. any lasting pieces of words of advice, if you want to let our listeners know, or anything about forest elephants? Um, any lasting notes you want to um, you want to give our listeners before we wrap things up?
1: Oh, uh, man!
0: Yeah, way to put you on the spot.
1: well, <laughs> 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 I do like improv ones and thinking on my toes. Not, nah, I want to say, my strong suit. Um, so basically, for for those young listeners. You know, there's always gonna, there's always a need and you just need to, to stick with it and find your own path and and listen to your heart. And I, I honestly believe the stuff that you're into as a kid is what you need to come back to as an adult. Uh, I think that's really something, uh, you should pay attention to and, and listen to, uh, for sure. Um, but yeah, every, everything helps. So, uh, and I think sometimes people get a little, um, discouraged like maybe the current state of events here in the U.S. or, you know, uh, globally. But I, I think I, I'm a big, optimistic, glass glassful type of person, and I think I think that's how we have to view things as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, Daniela, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. Will you come back on in a year? Will you come back Absolutely. on?
1: I would love to, yeah.
0: Okay, and then – go ahead. I
1: have some leopard stories for you then.
0: Please, please, only come back if you have leopard. No, I'm just kidding. And then also – S- send me your youtube video link so when you do do youtube i can actually go back in the podcast notes and i will update it to include them for your interview because the podcast is never yeah they never expire so these these are going to be out in the world forever so
1: that's right that's not scary at all i know right
0: yeah so we'll leave you on that fun <laughs> note
1: <laughs> That's right. man this has been awesome thank you so much for having me it's just so fun i really appreciate it
0: thank you we'll talk to you soon safe travels to africa